welcome to Estradial Illusions. We have a very, 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 very special guest, and although I usually say I'm excited to have guests, uh, I've added a lot of the varies for a specific reason, because a certain someone is making her very first appearance on the show. We are continuing our Christmas coverage. This is our fifth and probably, most likely, the final Christmas episode we do this year, because um, when it airs, it'll be the 10th, and... I'm always very cognizant of the fact that people will download episodes. If you check the the episode numbers, the stat t- totals from each day, uh, there's ones from like last Mar- March of 2019 that people are still downloading. But Chris- and people are still downloading the Senate episode from uh, that was really just kind of a pre-election episode. People are still downloading that, but Christmas, I don't think people will really uh, be downloading that much in April. And if you are watching, listening to Christmas episodes in April, uh, I mean, thanks for listening, but I, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> we without further ado, I uh, you know what? It would be helpful to announce what we were saying, uh, what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the 1974 classic stop-motion animated film, the Year Without a Santa Claus, which is a tradition in House Malone. And since this will be the year without, this will be a really shitty Christmas for a lot of people because we can't travel, most of us. Uh, I thought that since I can't be in Connecticut celebrating with my family, we would uh, bring in my sister Barbara, uh, the known as Bibble, uh, here to talk with us about this seminal classic. Bibble, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, hello, everyone. Yeah, my name is Barbara, I am a second year at the University of St. Andrews, and uh, I just, I have a lot of opinions about this this stop motion picture, and I'm really excited to talk about it, because it is one of my favorite Christmas movies. So, we, this will, from yesterday's episode, this from... I guess the episode chronologic, chronologically before this one was a transgender perspective on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, Barbara and I have very different opinions on Rudolph, so I did not uh, I did not bring her on for an episode where I was going to be dumping on Rudolph the whole time. You love Rudolph, don't you? I love Rudolph, but I do agree with you on the fact that um, Rudolph was... Uh, the, the message is uh, you, your disabilities can be made fun of until they're proven useful. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, without further ado, and that Santa Claus is a tremendous asshole. That, the Santa and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer sucks. Now, this Santa, I gotta, I mean, part of what really fascinates me about the year without a Santa Claus is that we have, we have a, we have Santa Claus who is, uh, really kind of down on himself. He's got a woe is me, and he wants to, he's sick also, and now in, in the era of coronavirus, it'd be a no-brainer for Santa to cancel his uh, Christmas Eve flight. Uh, you don't want to be spreading germs and stuff into people's houses when you're breaking in to deliver presents. You don't want to get them all sick. But uh, from this perspective, he's, he's kind of really down on, down on himself because he doesn't think that anybody cares about Christmas anymore, which I think is... Uh, you know, it's it's kind of something that I quickly kind of into the in, into the special. It, it sort of stops being about that for for kind of almost no apparent reason. Uh, yeah, it is definitely a beginning. It's like definitely is a um, a starting point, but then the picture just takes so many different turns. Like the, I think there would be maybe like tw- ten different subplots and kind of forget kind of through the way that Santa Claus is currently this like 
depressed being. Yeah, and I mean, just if if we want to talk about the mechanics of the naughty and nice list, it seems as though it's kind of absurd that Santa wouldn't know that people care about him because, I mean, to have a naughty or nice list suggests a degree of omniscience that is not really on display here at all. Yeah, I also think it's kind of ridiculous that the Dr. Elf was just knew that all the children just didn't care anymore. And not only that, like, Christmas is his form of work, but he's trying to get Santa to quit. Like, he's an elf. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, these, these, this whole, the whole economy of the North Pole, presumably, I mean, they do have some medical, they have, they have, it's centered around Christmas. Now, this Dr. Elf presumably works in a support capacity. So if the, if the workers, if the elves left because they didn't have Christmas work, it seems as though his medical practice would presumably dry up because he wouldn't necessarily have people to serve. So with an entire economy, and there are uh, there are towns throughout the country or whatnot that are literally kind of centered around specific uh, companies that have headquarters there, like Boeing or uh, you know in Detroit, all the car companies. So for this this elf to, he's kind of got a, a sense of, of of sadism and masochism that that he would want Christmas to close. It's really it's 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 a disturbing note to begin on. Yeah, totally agree. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's also kind of disturbing that we have. Uh, it's clear that Santa is is he sleeps in a separate bedroom than Mrs. Claus. There's just that single bed and, and calls I mean, maybe her mom. He does. He like. Like our uh, outgoing vice president, Mike Mike Pence, he refers to his wife as as Ma, which is uh, I mean I want to say that is a tradition that people have, but uh, it's a creepy one. I don't really do you. Do you it think definitely doesn't nice? bring like a homebody and like Christmassy spirit aspect to Santa Claus. It gives it more of like oh they kind of have a working dynamic, Mrs. and Mr. Claus, and not actually that they like love and care about each other, which is a weird way to start off a Christmas special. Do you think, do you think that, uh, the, the motion to cancel Christmas is, uh, was, was kind of a pre-warning sign for, for the, uh, phenomenon now known as cancel culture? Well, de- I could definitely see some correlations. <laughs> I mean, cancel culture is very um, rooted in not knowing the full story and just immediately yes. making a conclusion, which is kind of what Santa Claus does in this film. He kind of is just like, oh, this one elf who has no access to the outside world tells me everyone hates me. You know what? Fair. Right. Now, so suspension of disbelief can uh, can allow us to think that Santa like we, we don't need to we don't need to get into the mechanics of how Santa knows who's naughty or nice. We don't think he has like a off-site CIA operation just tra- tracking everybody's move. We can accept some degree. However, I think we probably do need to draw the line at the elf uh knowing that the the doctor elf who's a medical uh, professional that he would know. So I mean, he's got kind of a a beef. And then I mean running parallel to that whole concept is the idea that uh so the first one one kind of strain that goes through the year without a santa claus is how common knowledge is it that santa claus is real i feel like this is something that a lot of christmas specials kind of have to to dance around because the 
oh, you know, believing in Santa Claus is kid stuff. That sentiment uh, pops up here, and we'll talk about that a little later. But uh, sort of running running perpendicular to that is the idea that, uh, no, he's actually real. So when Mrs. Claus decides that she's going to put on his outfit and sing a song, anyone can be Santa Claus. That's kind of meant to be like, okay, parents can be Santa Claus, but at the same time, She's singing about anyone can be Santa Claus. Your husband is Santa Claus. Like, is this is this really like a sort of you know, you know the 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 this isn't really an I am Spartacus moment. This is a moment. No, I mean your your husband is literally Santa Claus. Anyone can't be him. Your husband is Santa Claus. <laughs> well, I think that everything about that song and that message is just completely irrelevant because immediately <laughs> afterwards she calls up those two elves and they immediately see that she's not Santa Claus and she goes up oh, that plan sucked time to move on to the next one I think she has the plan of being Santa Claus for maybe 10 seconds after the song so it's true it's true it's, it's th- I mean also I just another note on her on their marriage is, is she really so uh does she really have a lack of confidence to to such an extent that she couldn't just like, I mean, he's sick in bed coughing, but she couldn't say like, Hey, this is, this is just, this is madness. You can't cancel. You can't cancel. uh, You can't cancel Christmas. Yeah. She didn't really, she didn't really have like a wife role in the beginning or there was like, again, with like my comment about the bed, like there was no connection between the two of them. So it's kind no. of hard to like no. see. No, I well, yeah, you're 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 right. They um their their kind of connection to each other is uh it's definitely uh a, a struggle. And then you have you you have the idea that you know she really I mean Mrs. Claus really in a lot of ways is the hero of this, and yet at the same time. Uh, you know, she sets the she sets the plot in motion with uh, jingle and jangle, sending them with a baby reindeer. <laughs> so to, to, messed up. <laughs> yeah, to I mean, do you think that the plan on its on its surface is a is a sound one to kind of send people out to sort of rally rally the troops behind the idea that people do care about Santa Claus? I mean, I think it was a good idea, but the way it was executed was poorly. She just brought these two elves, Jingle and Jangle, and was like, by the way, go find Christmas cheer. And she didn't really give them a choice. She kind of just threw them on the baby reindeer and was like, okay, bye, go. And she was like, I think after that, she made it She made it express that like, oh, they really care about helping Santa Claus. And I was just thinking the whole time, no, you kind of force them to go out into the world. Do you think it's irresponsible that the North Pole doesn't have like an executive board that that if 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 not only if they weren't going to, you know, vote on this kind of decision just to like to slow it down a bit because Santa just picks up the phone says we're done, no more Santa, uh, no more Christmas, it's just over and it was unilateral. It seemed kind of hasty and I mean, one other kind of idea about the year without a Santa Claus which is so fun we're not really sure what the timeline is. We know it's not Christmas Eve because there's a bit of time at the end where the children are kind of uh, uh, gathering to kind of rally and make a Christmas without Santa. So some time does pass. 
but we have to assume it's late enough in the year that that most of the work at the North Pole is in fact done. And in fact, they also have the expendable uh, elves to send on this uh, ridiculous side quest. Yeah, I definitely don't. I think if anything, this um, picture just shows that the absolute monarchy of the North Pole doesn't really work because That's- one man's um, unhappy thoughts caused months and months of elves planning to just be thrown out the window. And I definitely think that if Jingle and Jangle were truly the um, head elves, they should have more of an executive power other than just doing favors for Mr. and Mrs. Claus. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And we know that the elves are kind of the uh, North Pole proletariat. They are doing the work. It's unclear why Santa's so tired. I mean, he's sick, and this is maybe clouding his judgment a bit. But, I mean, I'm just trying to think of some other Christmas specials where it it shows that Santa is really doing this hard labor that would make him say, like, oh, I'm not going to go out there. I'm not going to do this. I mean, why is he so tired? I mean, if you look back to your favorite movie, Rudolph, he had to listen to all the elves uh, sing that song, and you could just see how draining that was for him. Oh, the poor labor he goes through. Yeah, he's a Santa. (laughs) I talked about that. I do think that, just to touch on uh, anyone can be Santa one... I thought, you know, on the flip side, uh, if you listen to our Rudolph episode and now you're listening to this one, that's kind of a good transgender narrative, especially for kids. Maybe maybe they have... uh, Maybe one of their parents transitioned. Maybe isn't in uh, a, a role to be, to uh, be a conventional Santa Claus. Maybe uh, you know lesbian couples. I mean, uh, lesbian couples have children. I mean, anyone can be Santa Claus. Maybe that's kind of nice. But I mean, something tells me in 1974 they were not thinking of the gays when they were making uh, this special. Do you think they were? Uh, probably not. But I think one of the great things about movies is that you can just t- just create any narrative if you you want if you try hard enough well yeah i mean this this is a, a, a I, I actually doing kind of some research about rudolph which would have aired about 10 okay so yeah it, so rudolph would, would have aired about 10 years prior to this one aired in 1974 um they probably were aware of the fact that a lot of these specials were were pretty timeless uh so i mean maybe they did uh so, to to touch on uh, the whole plan, I mean, part of what the beauty of how ridiculous the plan to send Jingle and Jangle riding on Vixen to uh, to go to go and scounge up some support for uh, for Santa is, is the idea that almost immediately it is viewed as a horrible idea, like literally like a minute later. Yeah, it's just like the song. Um, anyone can be Santa immediately afterwards. Miss Claus is like. Never mind. She doesn't seem to be a woman who kind of is confident in herself. She's definitely not the definition of a modern-day feminist. She immediately changes her mind on everything. Like, the second Santa made a comment about heat and snow miser, she was like, oh, whoops. Okay, let's let's move on to the next plan. Uh, you've touched on something important. I'm glad we didn't gloss over it because we do see Mrs. Claus flying a sleigh later. She honestly could have just suited up and been... The, the presents were all ready. It's, it doesn't appear as though Santa is a vital cog in this machine, except maybe, just maybe, he's the one determining who's on the naughty list or the nice list. But for all intents and purposes, Mrs. Claus could have just suited up, 
you know, uh, worn a fake beard and, and flown around, then I don't think anybody would have noticed. Yeah, she clearly knows how to fly the reindeer. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and she clearly and, and, has a good connection with the elves. Like, everything was in place for it to work. But just, like, all her plans in this um, film, she just immediately goes on to the next one. It's true, and the, her lack of uh, her lack of foresight into uh, warning Jingle and Jangle about about the potential dangers ahead. We get an incredibly inconsistent delivery of, I mean, really the two characters that are that are the most beloved to come out of this, and that would be Snow Miser and Heat Miser, who have very similar theme songs, but are. Very, uh, I'm Mr. White Christmas, I'm Mr. Oh, those are great. Uh, I'm not going to sing the whole thing, although I'm, I probably will later. <laughs> but, um, so Santa, Santa warns Mrs. Claus that, oh, they won't get past the Miser Brothers, which is like, so, which sets up this odd dynamic. So apparently if you're going to fly around, you have to go through this, this narrow passage where the two of them are fighting, like, there's there's no possible there's no possible area that they could go around these two singular people and their and their two minions. There's six but there's six people and they have to fly straight through them. That that uh, and they're dangerous. They're dangerous if you try to fly around them, but if you come to their front door, they'll sing for you. Yeah, that's definitely inconsistent. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I noticed about the two of them is uh, when. He, uh, what is it what is what is heat miser's brother snow miser yeah snow miser i was about to call him cold miser i don't know where that came from but shoot shoot cold at you if you do that (laughs) but basically um snow miser when um mrs claus comes to the house is like oh that area when she asks to put snow into south town he basically says uh my stepbrother controls that area but then it becomes kind of clear that they're both the sons of mother nature well that's also i mean that that's uh to get a little bit ahead the two of them are clearly multiple times remark they're marked as stepbrothers which would indicate if mother nature is the mother of heat miser and snow miser uh they can't both share the same biological mother now maybe 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 uh maybe one of their mothers biological mothers died early on and and mother nature raised raised them both from an early age but like who would be the mother it's just it's too i think it's a big inconsistency that could have been easily resolved it's not like we're live uh yeah it's it's inconsistent and that that actually does that does um as it relates to, there is some favoritism hinted. Heat Miser seems well aware of the fact that Snow Miser is the preferred uh, son. And that could be really, really traumatic or uh, really also problematic if Mother Nature is, is favoring one over the other, knowing that, that this, is, this, is, this does appear to be a complex family dynamic. Yeah, it definitely seems like a bad move, especially if they're constantly fighting and putting poor baby reindeer's lives at stake yeah and i mean kudos to vixen for being able to fly we've got a uh, jingle and jangle flying back to back and they get to south town uh 
And you know what? I'll say this. Jingle and Jangle are kind of idiots when you think about it, but they're sent with no plan and they just kind of land and all of a sudden they're just trying to, they're, they're really trying their best to achieve this objective and uh, they're not dressed for the occasion. People are a little, uh, 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 they're a little surprised by their outfits and uh, really all they're trying to do is, is figure out if somebody there likes uh like santa claus they were definitely destined to fail and they really put it all in and it's unclear exactly what 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 they what they thought they were going to like try to do they they there was no strategy there was no i mean if this was like a james bond movie or something and they were sending them off they'd have like a mission brief they would have some semblance of a clue what the hell they were there supposed to be doing and here Mrs. Claus is just like, here, baby reindeer, fly off, try not to get killed. And actually, Vixen saves them from falling because they do get hit by Heat Miser. And, ah, what a mess. Vixen really was the hero of the story. Yeah. And, uh, well, so so another kind of inconsistency about The Year Without a Santa Claus is, so the newspapers, the newspapers report that Santa Claus is not going to do his run. And... That that does, especially this is the era before fake news. This is the era, this is before the era of rampant disinformation. If a newspaper prints something, it's supposed to be considered credible. And yet, I mean, honestly, this is 1974. This is the same year the Washington Post forced the only resignation in presidential history. So we have that kind of notion running parallel to the idea that the newspaper is reporting that Santa is not going to do his run. And yet, when Jingle and Jangle go to hang out at this playground, <laughs> which is itself kind of a uh, you know uncomfortable situation, you've got these kids saying nobody believes in Santa Claus. I mean, it's just like what? Why is the newspaper reporting on this? What the fuck? It makes absolute. Like I would try to find reasoning for it, but that is one of the f- the things in this movie that absolutely has no explanation. It just I mean, makes no sense. It, it does not seem obvious that the accepted belief of Santa Claus, it, it, it is both considered fact and also is not considered fact. I, I don't, it is unclear what the hell this, this uh, who, who sat down to write this? They clearly, I mean, they, it, it does kind of look like they're making it up as they went along. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, that, uh, oh, and then, I mean... So, so uh, a scene prior, we have a situation where we have a dog catcher, which is an elected. If you see, if you ever hear the phrase, like the political phrase, oh, that person couldn't be elected dog catcher. In a lot of places, dog catcher is literally an elected position. So this guy probably has a superiority complex. He's probably, uh, he probably tries too hard at his job. And uh, he's, he's given these people, uh, he's given Jingle and Jangle a lot of shit for... Uh, wearing funny clothes, and they have a reindeer, which uh, they make the disgusting audible to put their socks on for. I think that's the police officer that gives them the crap. Oh, right. That is the police officer. Wow. Well, my notes are about as consistent as the script. That's great. That's why we have, uh, that's why we have guests. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it. It seems odd. Yeah, the dog catcher gets goes to get Vixen when they're reporting. Well, there is a brief scene where they're hiding in a tree, which I only note because 
if you watch like a DVD cut of this film, it's about eight minutes longer than, uh, not quite eight, but a little bit longer than if you're watching it on, uh, uh, I guess free form. I have a hard time not calling it ABC family, uh, which itself when I was really little, I think maybe even before, uh, Barbara was born, uh, it was Fox family before that. And actually, it was a family channel even before that, but nobody cares who's listening, so I'm going to stop talking about that. <laughs> but uh, f- fun, fun, fun TV facts, and um, it's it's kind of interesting to see like the extended uh, versions. If 25 Days of Christmas is your uh, only exposure to this, but we have Jingle and Jangle who are in trouble with the police because they're. Uh, I mean, maybe Southtown is kind of shown to be a bit of a um, a, a conservative town, maybe. Although, I mean, so is like a place like New Orleans. It seems kind of odd that they would have such uh, strict sort of public decency laws. I mean, would you want to live in Southtown? Definitely not. Um, A, I just think the mayor is ridiculous. I think they're they're either too mean in regards to like the police officer who just gives these people a ticket for wearing funny clothes, which is just... Another support of the modern day opinion on police officers, just casually giving people tickets for dumb things. Um, Then there's that lady afterwards who is just not very nice and friendly. She's very critical of these two elves coming up to her, which is fair. But it seems as if in Southtown you're either way too mean or too nice in the sense that parents will invite their kids' old friends to have a cup of soup. Do you think that the Southtown police should be defunded? Yes. Yes. They definitely do not get enough training. If wearing weird clothes on um, a Sunday is considered a, a felony. Well, I, I mean, actually, uh, like, uh, so that is kind of based in the idea. A lot of local, uh, a lot of towns have bizarre local rules, most of which are uh, nowadays unenforced. In Connecticut, where uh, Barbara currently is and where I grew up. For the longest time, they only recently reversed it. You could not buy alcohol on uh, Sundays. You could get it from a bar. You could go to a bar, sit down, and get a drink, but you could not go into a grocery store and buy the same drink in a canned or bottled form. Uh, so, I mean, local laws are uh, are kind of stupid. What is also kind of interesting about the mayor dynamic, though, is that uh, this is apparently a town where you can just go into the mayor's office uh, the same day, you don't have to schedule an appointment like six months out. I, I live across the street from town hall. I couldn't go over there and, and demand for uh, Mayor Garcia to come out. He wouldn't do that. He's too busy on MSNBC. And that is a piece of Long Beach inside joke that nobody listening will understand. But uh, you can, you, you're you not really, these, these elected officials, as worthless as they are trying to come up with these dumbass schemes, they do have a fair degree of accessibility. Yeah, I just, something about just a kid being able to walk in. Also, why didn't the kid's parents walk in if they truly believed in Santa Claus? Well, so we're talking about Iggy, and his full name is uh, Ignatius Thistlewhite, which is kind of a... uh, Casual name. Ridiculous. uh, Yeah, that's a pretty ridiculous uh, dynamic, and... Okay, whoever, so I'm looking at, okay, got it. I was looking at the IMDb, and the same person voices Iggy and the mayor. 
who mm. is almost certainly probably dead at this point. But um, yeah, we can't we can't we can't invite him on the show. Sadly, uh, they actually fun fact. Well, Heat Miser and Snow Miser. Fun fact: they made a sequel to this from uh, starring uh, one of the original voice actors and uh, Mickey Rooney, who voices Santa Claus. Uh, Miser's but Miser Brothers Christmas in two thousand eight. It's not very good. We won't be talking about this. Uh, but uh, so Ignatius Thistlewhite is shown to be a uh, he's described by the narrator. And the narrator is uh, Shirley Booth, who was a longtime uh, golden age of Hollywood actress. And this this would have been one of her final roles. She announces that that Iggy is uh, has a really important role to play. And yet, I mean, Iggy really doesn't really do all that much. He gets them to the mayor like he helps facilitate the deal. But they say he has a really important role to play later. It's kind of unclear what Iggy's role was later. Also, he doesn't really help that much in the mayor's office because if you think about it, Iggy went separately than Jingle and Jangle, and they just happened to be at the mayor's office at the same time. And all that's really important that Iggy says in that meeting is that it never snows in Southtown. But besides for that, you know, it's Jingle and Jangle who make the deal with the mayor. That's true. That's true. Uh, people have noted that um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Indiana Jones movie, would have happened in the exact same way if Indiana Jones hadn't been in it. You're that of Santa Claus would have really the same thing would have happened without Iggy, except I guess I mean, so not to get too ahead of ourselves, but uh, so when when Ignatius makes his he makes his debut at the playground with Jingle and Jangle, but then he sees uh, he sees Santa, who's who's wandering. He's arrived on the scene, and Jingle and Jangle are trying to find Mrs. Claus because they they understand that they're in deep shit. But Santa is already he's already in hot pursuit, and he's wandering around. And Iggy meets this sick old man who's just kind of like he he does kind of look like he's creeping up on their house a he little bit. He does creep up. I think it's I think the narrator says Santa just like pops out of a bush and then you just see him pop out. He's like, Hello. And then they say what he says, like, what's your name? And he says, uh 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 Klaus. You know I think that's a very, very standard way of saying hello to people. Well, now in the age of coronavirus, we have a situation where Iggy uh, meets this sick man, doesn't like run away, and tells his mom that this is his friend. I mean, you meet a, a sick old man, and then you immediately invite them into your home. What kind of <laughs> parents allow that? The mom was literally just like, oh, why don't you invite Mr. Klaus in, and we'll treat him something. Like, they don't even ask him to wear a mask. Like, how disrespectful. Yeah, so they go in and they're talking about whether or not one believes in Santa. Now, then, the within the universe of this uh, this episode, I mean, with, with uh, within the universe of this film, the smart thing to do, if Iggy said, "Gee, Dad, do you believe in Santa Claus?" Oh, yeah, I just read about him in the newspaper. Like, obviously, obviously, he's real. But no, this is this is kind of like a, a unclear, maybe even a parallel universe. And the logical thing, if you ask Santa Claus, if you believe in Santa Claus, he just starts singing, I believe in Santa Claus like I believe in love. The simple answer would have been, do you believe in Santa Claus? Yeah, dude, I am Santa Claus. Look at me, man. I'm going to go fly away on my reindeer. But no, he doesn't tell them that ever. 
I think my favorite part of that song, to be honest, is when the, the dad has his little backstory and you just see him wearing the U.S. Navy oh, no. hat. <laughs> like he's a military, like the military, basically the message was the military strips all your beliefs of Santa away. Yeah, he goes out, he goes out and then he, he becomes like a battle hardened. Maybe he's suffering from, I don't know. He's also like five in that photo, but just <laughs> being drafted into the army. He was, he was. ROTC came to his, came to his middle school and drafted him to go fight in Vietnam or something. <laughs> that's just the best part. I think that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Well, yeah, so Iggy's father, this was made in 1974. I mean, the movie, it's funny, actually, now that you mention it, the movie early on says that this happened long ago, and yet, so it happened, it happened, if this is 1974, it happened long ago, uh, maybe the father was going to fight in World War One or something, it's unclear what war he was joining the Navy to fight in. Uh, yeah, we, the timeline's a mess. The father also remembers santa claus because he went into his house and we've got we're treated to that sequence where a little boy why is santa in his bedroom also that's kind of odd also why does it if santa does it for just this one guy why does he do it for the rest of the battle-hardened navy members and then if that happens why isn't santa more commonly accepted why just this one dude gets like the special song sung to him in the middle of the night yeah, the White House press corps needs to do a way better job uh, getting getting Santa's uh, favorability numbers, his approval ratings up. But uh, we get the sick man who's singing, and uh, we have a. Uh, I mean, Iggy Iggy here may, maybe in in what possibly might be his most important role. He serves as a conduit for uh, explaining to. Klaus, that uh, Jingle and Jangle, uh, that their quote-unquote reindeer was uh, sent to the dog pound, so Santa is able to go and uh, Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus also sent Jingle and Jangle down with no money. So when when Vixen is is abducted, they're just kind of left her hanging hanging out to dry. Also, how do they have American currency? Did the elves make it, or did they get it with uh, currency printed by from the mint like, from the U.S. Santa, Tre- does Santa get taxes? Is that how he makes his money? Do, does he pay taxes? I don't get it. Uh, these are these are complex. Uh, I mean, maybe. I, I mean, the North Pole is not in the U.S., despite most of these Christmas narratives sort of making it kind of an Americanized, but. Uh, so Santa, so Santa has to go and get them out, and he's flying. He's also not trying to hide that he's Santa. He's flying around on his reindeer, and yet he's 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 he he's doing that while at the same time lying to children about his name, which is really. I mean, he, in some ways, he doesn't. He lies mostly just about the pronunciation of the name. But uh, so we get that situation, and uh, we've we've got the mayor saying uh, it it's gonna. He, he says that it's not, he doesn't believe that it's going to snow, and yet he sings the song that it's going to snow, snow, snow right here in Dixie, as if it's a foregone conclusion. So why is the mayor Why is the mayor making them jump through these hurdles? Wouldn't it be easier if the mayor, if Santa just went and flew like some circles around the mayor's office on his reindeer? I mean, that would definitely make it faster. One of the things about that mayor meeting that just makes me so annoyed is that the uh, Iggy's parents clearly see Santa flying away. So they 
of all evidence, he is real, and yet the parents don't find it necessary to re- to help with the problem. They're like, nah, this is a kid's problem. How about you go to the mayor? The mayor would rather listen to you than two grown adults. Yeah, of a voting age. You say, you know, if you don't help me on this, I'm going to vote you out of office. Maybe that mean woman, maybe we'll get her in the office instead. Maybe we'll get the dog catcher in. We don't know. Yeah, they're not helpful. They are not helpful one bit. Yeah, they just gladly send their son to do adult work. Yeah, and they're okay with Iggy being... When when Mrs. Claus comes to pick them up, uh, they're perfectly okay, A, with Iggy flying around past his bedtime, but then they're also on the roof. What if Iggy tripped and fell? Well, I, I think I specifically re- remember Iggy saying he hopes that they don't wake up his parents, which shows that uh. they... But that does show that the parents can sleep safe and sound, not knowing what the hell their son's doing. They're just like, ah, he's not home. Okay, good night. That's true. It's uh, that's definitely a mess. And uh, but then I mean, we get to the the best part where I mean, a- as we said earlier, you've got a situation where the Miser Brothers are shooting lightning bolts at Jingle and Jangle and Vixen. And yet Mrs. Claus, I mean, maybe they understand that firing at the uh, wife of the, the monarch of the North Pole and maybe firing at her would cause a diplomatic situation like the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, kicking off World War I. Uh, maybe, that, maybe that's a bridge too far from them. But uh, so they land. And I mean, what's kind of interesting about Snow Miser and, and Heat Miser, actually, for that matter, you have the song where they say, friends call me Snow Miser. Do you think Snow Miser has a lot of friends? I don't know where he'd find them. It's, I mean, it seems like they're on the top of a mountain, and all they do is throw, they, all he does is fight with Heat Miser. I don't know, like, are they like magical beings socials or something? I don't know. Yeah, well, and they also, I mean, it would seem, it would seem to make sense that Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus would be on good terms with Snow Miser, being both kind of uh, big, big proponents of, of snow and the snow industry, and yet it's clear they don't hang out very often. He, yeah, Snow Miser's suggesting that they bring him over. And then also, I mean, like, it just, just the very nature of that is contrasting with, oh, shit, they'll never get past the Miser Brothers with, oh, let's go see the Miser Brothers. They'll sing us a song. <laughs> I mean, what do you, if you were Jingle and Jangle, like, I, I think it's kind of unrealistic that they're not totally terrified about going in to see these people. I would be traumatized. Yeah, and then they're just, like, singing, and, I mean, the Snow Miser kind of reminds me of the Joker in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. He's kind of, they look similar are you team Snow Miser or team Heat Miser? Oh, that's an interesting question. So I am team Snow Miser. What about you? I'm team Heat Miser. So is Mother. And I know. Yet, we had this conversation as we were watching it together. Yeah. And yet Tara, who I'd actually never seen it before, uh, she is also team Snow Miser. It's interesting to see how the battle lines are drawn. I just, I think it's so funny how Heat Miser is like, so rude to Mrs. Claus because she brings a lot of um, promotion to snow. That's true. I mean, there is a natural heat miser does have a rightful bone to pick. Yeah. And yeah, it's um, that's, that's definitely, that's definitely uh, an, an interesting idea that uh, I mean, heat miser naturally doesn't really like Santa. And yet, I mean, 
it's not like he's trying to stop Christmas. I mean, people in California, people in Texas, all of that, they have Christmas, and yet it is kind of associated with snow. I mean, it feels like he has all of those people around who help him sing his song, who are kind of his assistants. I mean, you'd think maybe there'd be some more diplomatic envoys or just trying to kind of hear each other out, but no. Well, I think his, he has a redeeming quality, whereas... He doesn't say no to Mrs. Claus's request, even though Mrs. Claus and Mr. Claus, Santa Claus, did I really just say Santa Claus, um, Klaus, Klaus, um, <laughs> our good old dear old Mr. Klaus, they don't really do anything for the warmth, yet he's Miser's willing to help Mrs. Claus with her problem. He just wants a little something in return, and I don't think that's too much to expect. Yeah, and um, it's nice that they have, in 1974, they have uh, essentially a uh, primitive version of FaceTime or Skype where uh, Heatmiser... Do you think do you think Heatmiser... They, they don't really seem to like each other, and yet they do have that screen. They're easy to talk to. And in fact, not only, not only do they have FaceTime, they have FaceTime where you can shoot cold or fire flames through the screen. It's it's very impressive technology. I think that would make our FaceTimes more fun. It would, and it's, I mean, they're already doing kind of well in terms of wealth, but you'd think you'd probably try and license that money, that technology out and make, make a killing. Maybe, uh, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg has Morgan Freeman's voice as his AI. Like, you could spruce up the place with little stuff like that maybe put a beanbag chair in the the snow miser castle it is it is interesting you touched on um the the idea that that snow miser want i mean that heat miser wanted uh, something in return from mrs claus and it's it's kind of unclear what the the duration of time that the that that the north pole is supposed to go uh green in in exchange for the snowing in Southtown because it's never really distinguished that it's a single day. It's almost like he's, it's unclear. Maybe heat miser is trying to st- take over the territory or whatnot. And, and that's, that's putting aside all of the, the climate problems that, that sort of terraforming a uh, area like the North pole would be. Yeah, no, I definitely, I was a little confused with that too, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's not clear how long the North pole, are they just supposed to have a green Christmas or is it supposed to be a duration that's longer? And actually while we're on that subject, Vixen gets sick because Vixen can't tolerate the heat. What is, what is this devil's bargain supposed to do to the reindeer? Uh, just put them in a cooler. They'll hibernate. Yeah, it's it's brutal. They could fly away and see Yukon Cornelius and the abominable snowman. I don't know. It's uh, it's it's kind of a mess. But uh, the two siblings uh, are fighting, and uh, I mean this whole sequence of the heat miser, snow miser. They make an appearance early on, but but this is like very self-contained and it's very sequential. It's not like they go back to Southtown. But we have uh, before it's all over. But they're fighting. Mrs. Claus is not a great negotiator. She doesn't try and bring the sides together all that much. But she does invoke Mother Nature, who... I mean, why didn't she just go there in the first place? Oh, well, she said that Mother Nature didn't like to be disturbed, I think. Which is yeah, just but- an ominous reason for um, the, so- the two Heat Miser songs happening. That's true. I guess I guess the reason I ask is mostly because um, 
she views she views Mother Nature's intervention as an important impasse, uh, is important way to resolve the impasse between Heat Miser and Snow Miser, and yet she doesn't involve them when Heat Miser and Snow Miser are shooting at her at her elves. Yeah. She it seems like her priorities are very self centered. Yeah, she doesn't, I mean, she seems to plan things, like, uh, really no steps ahead, and uh, they go there, and they make their deal, and uh, Mother Nature has that great transportation technology, too. I would really like that. Oh, one thing about the conversation with Mother Nature that really bothers me is that she goes to Snowmeister, she goes to each of them, now, Snowmeister, you will allow some... uh, some snow in Southtown and heat miser, you will allow some heat in the North pole, but those were the things they wanted. So why is she telling them to allow yeah. it? Shouldn't she be speaking the opposite? I had that noted that she had reversed the order. And isn't I mean, maybe something so easy. Like how did the writers just not find that, like find that fault? Well, it is sloppy. And yet, I mean, the only possible defense I could offer her up is, is just a simple fact that, Mother Nature really doesn't give a shit. She just wants them all to leave. And with with that regard, if you're like a parent and two kids are fighting and you just want to placate them, I don't know. She's she's. She, she, it seems like she could be like the Real Housewives of Mother Nature or something. And she's just kind of a, a little bit. Do you think Mother Nature is a little basic? Uh, she kind of <laughs> gives off the mom who only grows natural foods and is could potentially be high all the time, but might not be vibes. That's true. Maybe she spends a lot of time at Lululemon or somewhere. Yeah. She goes to Soul Cycle in the morning. Yeah, and she doesn't like to be disturbed for the rest of the day because she's got to uh, she's got to watch her stories or soap operas. She's got she's got one? nature to mother. She's a busy woman. It's true, and so we get. Well, what's also kind of interesting? So they get the snow, and the mayors decide, "Hey, we're gonna give Santa the day off," which kind of contrasts with the early dynamic in the film, where Santa says he's going to take the day off. Now they're giving him the day off. It's kind of like a "You're fired." No, you can't fire me. I quit. Kind of dynamic. Was all of this necessary just to, like, alleviate Santa of the burden of guilt? Possibly. Or it was just to, maybe it was to recognize the fact that um, we finally believe in you. Yeah, and I mean, what's the credibility of these newspapers that are reporting? One was the Atlanta Atlanta Times. I, I took complete note of that. The North Pole gets the Atlantic Times newspaper. <laughs> Boy, think of all it, it. I mean, maybe he just really likes that single paper. But if he's getting all the newspapers, that's a lot of time. I mean, well, maybe maybe he uses the same technology that he uses to fly around everywhere in one single evening. Maybe every morning he spends, you know, a couple, couple tens of hours uh, sitting there reading the paper. I don't know his time. That's a maybe we get. None of nothing else until this point could be classified as nitpicking, but maybe that maybe we'll draw the line there at nitpicking. <laughs> so, so Santa Santa gets a guilt-free day off. We again, we're not really sure. There are Christmas trees around at Southtown, but it's not. It's clearly not Christmas Eve. And now there are contingency plans in place for people to to uh, prepare presents in Santa's absence, and he's fine until this little girl with a nice, cute pink bow 
decides that she's gonna deliver the guilt trip. She decides to emotionally manipulate Santa. <laughs> like all the other kids write nice, kind letters to Santa, and this one girl woke up and chose <laughs> violence. She's like, she's like, fuck you, Santa. You ruined Christmas. She she was such a little manipulator. Uh -huh. And she gets like a singing. Like, we have a coalition of people from every walk of life, every faith, every uh They you defy know. they defy physics and actually stop jump on top of the world to show Santa their appreciation. Yeah. This is an uncharacteristic, unparalleled display of unity, and it's all brought crashing down <laughs> by this girl. <laughs> Who, just Who just decides to draw a picture of herself crying and saying, you suck, man. She takes, like, the ultimate wrecking ball to his day off. <laughs> it's such a dick uh, move. It is. And I, but, yeah, I mean... Maybe it was just kind of divine intervention from the perspective of uh, what would have happened to the institution of the North Pole if he had just taken the year off. It's not good. That's It's bold of either one of us to assume that we even know the institution of the North Pole. Like, are there wages? Are there, do people get paid? Do they have days off? Like, we don't know. I, I, I thought about earlier in the, like, last week saying I was going to get a bunch of uh, my friends on the far left to come on and talk about workers' rights for elves and all. I mean, Hermie, Hermie in Rudolph does does kind of hint at that. He's trying to give them dental care. They're, uh, they clearly, like, like the American healthcare system, dental is clearly not included in whatever healthcare they plan they have. They clearly do not have 410K plans. In 401K, Yeah. <laughs> they um yeah they yeah it's a it's a total mess but um so santa santa learns uh that the girl is gonna guilt him and he realizes what a what a dick he's been i mean is that song enough it, why didn't iggy's father's story about how before he became a naval officer, that Santa meant so much to him. Why wasn't that enough to sway him? Because he didn't draw a picture of himself crying. Yeah, it, it seems like it's like a last-minute, okay, wait a second, this is horrible. We're not going to fulfill the prophecy of the title. This won't be a year without a Santa Claus. Quick, you know, he calls his banners, he gets them all ready, and then they, then Christmas is back on. And they have all the toys, they were all ready, nobody missed a beat. What, what was the point of this movie? It was just a promo. Someone, someone woke up, had a great idea about Heat Miser and Snow Miser, and they're like, okay, we need to make a plot to go around it. Yeah, I mean, they literally, I mean, it took them like 40, 30, 35 years, but they, uh, to, to make a movie just around the Miser Brothers, but they, uh, it, it, it's pretty remarkable that this whole narrative was kind of spurred upon by Santa being sick, then he's not sick. Maybe he just got better normally because he had a case of the common cold and he hasn't developed immunity, even though he's 400 years old. Uh, so then they go to Southtown to 
uh, gin up interest in Santa. They succeed on that front, but then the the solution of that is to give him the day off that he then in turn doesn't want because the little girl made him feel all sad. Yeah, that pretty much sums up the movie. And yet, I mean, this movie is a train wreck, and yet it's also extremely endearing. It's very, I, I, despite all the criticisms I have on the actual plot, it is probably my favorite movie to watch over Christmas. And most of that does come from the Heat Miser and Snow Meister. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, it's just a, a stray thought, but I, I'm wondering if Santa even gets them anything. Maybe that's why Snow Miser is so upset. He doesn't get a gift. Maybe he did, Mrs. Claus just never takes Snow Miser up on that offer. It's true. It would it would be nice to see like a random March day. I mean, you've got to assume that the reindeer are 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 pra- they practice, they get around. I mean, why don't they visit? I think maybe Mrs. Claus is is irresponsible. Is Mrs. I mean, so within the confines of traditional storytelling, you know, uh, films have heroes and protag and, and and villains. We have protagonists, we have antagonists. You were that a Santa Claus, I mean, really trying to parse the heroes and villains structure is, is actually quite difficult. Yeah, it almost seems like, in a way, there, there is no villain because each character has fatal flaws. Yeah, I mean, you could, it, there's a lot of pers- perspectives where you could say, Santa is the villain because he's a selfish asshole who is is clearly having marital problems, sleeping in a different bed, uh, projecting Freudian stuff on Mrs. Claus. Uh, and then you could say, I mean, Mrs. Mrs. Claus is kind of an antagonist for sending Jingle and Jangle into harm's way. Uh, the Miser Brothers are not really a protagonist, much or antagonist. And then there's Iggy. Iggy, who's very important, who actually is, in fact, not that important. Yeah, he really is just there. And I guess maybe we're accepting the fact that, uh, you know, children want to have someone to root for. And yet at the same time, is Iggy really is Iggy really somebody to root for? I mean, I don't know what we're rooting for him to do. like To help save Christmas. Well, that's actually kind of a good point, because... For a lot of the beginning of the film, we're supposed to like root for Santa to either get better or to quit being so down on himself. And yet along the way, it kind of becomes, hey, Santa, actually, let us all lighten your burden. Yeah, it's it, like- it just it's very inconsistent with what the overall theme of the movie is. And I think you can take so much out of it, which is a good thing, but also for an for an actual plot, it makes no sense. Right. I d- and it was, I do okay. think that the multiple lessons and the multiple plot lines and all that stuff, as inconsistent as it is, it does give children the chance to learn a lot of mess messages and positive things. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think with the children at the end rallying around, uh, you know, in Santa's absence, uh, that would, uh, be uh, positive for for people who are uh, you know just just trying to rely on a uh, curmudgeonly old man at the North Pole to make their day. I think you can rally around a community. I think that message is something that's a bit of a reach, and <laughs> nobody nobody would really think about until 
they were they were uh, gonna go do a podcast about this. The this. scene where they're all holding the hands on top of the world it does very much give off hands across America vibes. Right, and that that's um, I think a lot like uh, I, maybe it's just because of the animation or the way it's kind of presented, but it, it makes me think a lot about it's a small world, the Disney ride. That's true, which is a great ride. Like Unity, all sorts of that kind of stuff. I mean, that's um, it's it's it, it's good that we have it's good that we have uh, you know, those kind of morals because <laughs> things like movies like this are supposed to instill morals. Yeah. And yet, I mean, I I guess I kind of like this one more for the absence of morals. This is more of like a fun romp where they're uh, it seems like everything's constantly going wrong. They're calling audibles and they're they're making a ton of mistakes. But I do think that um, from a child's perspective, if you're if a child is really that interested in taking away lessons from this movie, the fact that these soup like almost supernatural beings are just constantly messing and screwing up, it's kind of a positive thing. It's like okay, these people are clusterfuck, so it doesn't matter if I am too. That's a good point. Christmas, uh, a lot of Christmas, uh, a lot of people's Christmases are are, are kind of a mess uh with with relatives uh, our family is thankfully really really small so we have to put up with that less and less <laughs> each year a little bit less <laughs> <laughs> well i mean as, as we as we start to wrap up that that kind of brings us to like the final point for a lot of people uh this kind of 2020 is kind of the year without a santa claus not not for lack of present but uh I made out like a bandit with presents, but uh, for a lot of people, oh, you're, you you can. I just can't wait for you to see mine. I can't wait either, but uh, I'm very excited, people. Uh, but for for all of us, and this is kind of why we've uh, put together a Christmas slate this year uh, for members of the LGBTQ community who can't be with their their families, their sort of preferred families, with uh, communal centers and and. Uh, places, gathering places all closed. A lot of people, I, I've gotten messages from people who listen to this show who are really, have been kind of stuck at home in the closet or, or semi out of the closet or their parents are kind of pushing them back in the closet. People are, this is, this is a, this is a shitty, shitty uh, Christmas for a lot of people. And I think in times of turmoil, if you're, uh, you know, if you're going through something like that, film, uh, at least for me, I know probably for a lot of other people, is a source of comfort. And I think w w when it when those kind of moments strike, we turn to the classics. And this one is definitely a classic. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, literally, me and mom were talking about this today, um, th that we didn't really feel like it was Christmas season until watching this. Yeah, and uh, Tara has been wanting to watch all these Hallmark movies. If you listened to our episode with Candace Kane, you got to see us uh, shitting all over the conventional Christmas uh, Hallmark movies. I'm not really a tremendous fan of them. But uh, it is it is nice uh, this time of the year to, to put something that's absolute trash on and <laughs> just sit back and maybe hopefully make yourself a stiff drink. But if you don't drink uh, some weed or... Anything else you enjoy? It is uh, it is important in this time of great turmoil and uh, you know a, a shitty year for the ages that that we uh, that we that we carry on with these traditions to 
uh, try and try and reclaim some of that Christmas magic. Yeah, completely agree. Couldn't say it better myself. Well, like on, on that note, I uh, you know part of part of why I wanted to do this. Uh, this is a tradition in the Malone family to watch this. Um, it was a bit harder to. Uh, you know, with with us on uh, opposite coasts, obviously we couldn't sit to watch it together. But, Sometimes uh, opposite con- continents. Yes, yes. Uh, often people is in Europe, and uh, it makes sense to get together and do a podcast. I've always wanted to do this. this is, uh, part of the fun of watching this one is just saying, like, okay, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. It's it's maybe a, a little bit nitpicky, but uh, that's part of the fun of it. And we do it. We do it with love, as we know when uh, when we do our, uh, especially Thomas the Tank Engine and Chill. It's all with love. It's not 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 because something is bad. It's it's good in spite of its flaws, and maybe it's also good because of its flaws. But uh, you know, this Christmas this Christmas is a, a historic one, mostly for the negative reasons, but. We got to do this, so um, it's been it's been so fun to have you on, uh, Bibble. Well, thank you so much. Hopefully, I can be back another time, whenever my 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 um, talents call. Yes, yes. Uh, long long time long time fans or people who are uh, looking at this podcast from my Facebook page, you may remember Barbara was a uh, often a co-host on uh, the Game of Thrones recap shows that would air right after the episodes. Those were, those were a lot of fun. Yeah, we were often one of us was often drunk, the other one was often tired. <laughs> yeah, Barbara was uh, Barbara. I part of so I'm I'm almost ten years to the day older than Barbara. And that often comes with uh, privileges of of having uh, a sibling who can vouch for uh, content that maybe an eleven year old shouldn't watch. But Barbara, when she was eleven, was what I just was like one day. I don't really know what I was thinking, but I was just like saying to my mom, like, "Oh yeah, as long as as long as people goes under the blanket for the sex scenes, she's fine watching Game of Thrones as an eleven year old." And my mom didn't watch the show for a long time after that. And people would say, "Like, what the fuck? You let an eleven year old watch that?" And then, of course, all eyes would go to me, and I would just kind of shrug and say, well, it's a very good show. I remember this one time in seventh grade, my history teacher made a winter is coming contact, I mean, um, comment, thinking that none of us would, like, understand it. She was just saying it for her own personal amusement. And then I go, oh, I love that show. And you could just see the look of horror on her face, because I was 12. Yeah, yeah, I did that. You know, sixth grade, middle school, that's that's... That's fine. That's fine. It was That's fine. It totally didn't shape half my growing up. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> I I apologize for nothing. This show we did, uh, we got to start doing a lot of Game of Thrones recaps. So, uh, you know, I we can go full circle on that. Well, on that note, having spent a bit of time uh, in, in Westeros again, we actually will be going back to Westeros soon for an episode all about Lord Varys, the spider. Ooh interesting uh yeah that'll be fun uh it's been great having you bibble i know we Mm -hmm. won't be together on christmas uh it's it's sad Uh, a famed malone tradition used to be to go into uh i guess when i was young uh, uh, my parents would do it and then i started doing it when barbara was little going and put presents on the foot of the bed uh that tradition actually lasted uh, up until recently and it had to it had to go away because Bart Bar- started staying up later than I would. 
the last time I did it, I literally, I felt like Lord Vary sneaking in and um, <laughs> shit all over the floor and I was stripped and horrible. And I don't know how you weren't woken up by that, but alas, anyway. It's been, uh, it's been great having you, Bibbs. Thank I, you. Making your inaugural appearance on the show. Mm-hmm. And we all have to have you back uh, at uh, sooner rather than later to talk. Uh, maybe we'll talk Game of Thrones. Oh, I love that. All right, uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening. This will be our final holiday coverage, so if you want more Estradile Illusions holiday stuff, uh, we have four other episodes, including a holiday-themed Thomas at Dank Engine and Chill. I know Barbara loves the Thomas Christmas Party and Thomas and the Missing Christmas Tree episodes. We uh, we just did that. And uh, on that note, everybody, have a happy... Well, I say happy holiday. We will still put out more episodes before Christmas, but uh, if this is the last one you listen to on us... Have a very happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Life Day, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.